When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Join me for insightful conversations and interviews about our cattle industry. Here we discuss the shared struggles and successes of this life we've chosen as ranchers. Here, we seek to learn from the experts around us, eager to grow and challenge the accepted. Here we are, the Black Hereford Chronicles. The U.S. cow herd has taken a big hit in the last two years. Nationwide drought, which is still ongoing for much of the country, has led to massive cuts. But it will rain someday. And as that happens in different regions, the female market is going to catch fire. You can see it happening in some places already. Heifers are going to be a hot commodity. But the way a heifer was developed is really important for both her long-term profitability and longevity. I sat down with an expert to talk about the different ways to grow heifers, considerations when purchasing them, and how to make sure your heifer development strategy matches the needs of your operation. By now you've heard me talk a lot about Triple T Farms and their Black Hereford operation. Tim and Teresa Tarter own and operate Triple T full-time, working to improve the Black Hereford breed since 2008. They believe in the future of the breed and know that quality genetics are a must. Triple T is heavily involved in producing embryos as a quick and productive way for new breeders to obtain some top-of-the-line genetics for minimal investment. They have the data to back up their cattle because they know the importance of accurate information. Triple T is currently offering semen on five bulls, all proven sires with lots of progeny and high-accuracy EPDs. They've got semen on many of the legendary bulls in the breed like Black Dynasty, 8622, Y702, see triple your miles, and Solomon. You'll want to check out one of the largest breeders in the Black Hereford Association and the largest east of the Mississippi. You can do that at one of their two sales each year, the annual Black is the Color sale in the spring and Kentucky's Finest sale in the fall, which is held in conjunction with the Kentucky Black Hereford Association. Triple T also has cattle for sale private treaty all year long and welcome questions and visitors. For more information about Triple T, you can visit their website, tripletblackcattle.com or email Tim at tripletblackherfords at gmail.com. You can also give him a call at 606-305-2289. Thanks for tuning in to the Black Hereford Chronicles. I've got a guest from UNL here that uh, I'm really excited to talk about some, I think, very timely things with heifers right now. So, Travis, will you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell everybody what you do and and where you're at? Yeah, I'm Travis Molinix. I'm a ranch nutritionist and beef extension specialist for UNL, uh, located in North Platte, Nebraska. I did not realize that you were in North Platte, actually. We are not very far away then. We are not. <laughs> How long have you been with UNL? Uh, six years now. Okay. So 
I actually found you because I was doing some research on heifer development. We're kind of rethinking at our operation here, how we want to do that. And I found an article that you had written about kind of some of the different options. And I think with the way the market is changing right now and the way we're seeing heifer value, really female value, right? Start to, to really pick up. I think it's a very timely conversation to be talking about how we develop these heifers. So I want to start by asking about how developed they really should be. We've seen in recent years, there's really been a shift down in the recommended percent of final body weight that we should be achieving before that first breeding season. Can you explain why that shift is and where you think we really want to have them before we go ahead and breed? Yeah, it's a very complex answer and it's or question. It's a very complex answer because, as you know, every operation is different and every reasoning behind their dif- by, by their decisions are different. And so it's very complex to say there is one standard of gold standard of where you should be. And, you know, the, the traditional thought process of 65% of mature body weighted breeding was a very, very safe estimate. You know, and this was based off in the early 90s. And you think about the cows that we had in the early 90s, they are not the cows that we have today. Um, but then you think about heifer development in the early 90s and before is we really didn't develop heifers like we do today. There was, and there's still a little bit of this going on in the United States and and, and internationally, but but historically before this, there was a lot that were calving out as three-year-olds, right? And so there wasn't a lot of calving heifers. And so there wasn't a big emphasis on selection for fertility traits. There wasn't a big emphasis on heifer development because of I've got a couple of years before I have to get there. And so fertility was totally different at that time point in a heifer as it is today from the standpoint of we put a lot more selection pressure now on on heifers than we did at that point. And so, but 65% was this extremely safe value. And and there's a lot of data to support that. And and a lot of it was based off of, you know, fat composition of how much fat was there. A lot of it was just growth rate itself. But when you think about the environments that we manage cows under from the East Coast to the West Coast, from, you know, 60 inches of rain per year to five inches of rain per, per, you know, less, you know, where you're running cows, not per acre, but per section, it's a totally different answer in those scenarios. And so, you know, for a producer that's in the in areas that that feed costs are cheap, well, they're going to answer that totally different than someone that has limited feed costs that can never achieve 65% because they can't afford it. And so that's a very, that gets to be a very complicated answer. And, you know, in those environments that can't afford it, those, those cows work very well for them. And they've adapted to those environments where, where animal that I'm, that I'm trying to get to 65% may not be very well adapted for their environment. 
And so that's why we've seen this shift in thought process of where they should be. And I, I don't have any recommendation on where they should be because it really depends on the producer, you know, and, and, and their circumstances around what they have and their goals. And because there's plenty of data that shows 50% of mature body weight is just fine. And there's a lot of data that shows 65% is just fine. And so it really depends on the producer and their operation. Well, I think some of that comes back to just knowing your operation really well. You know, there's ways to select for fertility so that you don't have to be quite so panicked on growing them. Yeah. So in some of my thought process has always been, I'm okay with 70% pregnancy rates and heifers. And the reason why I'm okay in a low-cost scenario is that if it costs me additional to get to 80, 90, and, it, and and I push those heifers to gain that much more, do I want those heifers that went that wouldn't have been pregnant at a lower cost, that, that cost me more, that needs more nutrients, do I want those in my herd? Because to me, they're subfertile. And so what happens to them as a two or three-year-old where I really get hurt if they drop out from a profitability standpoint. And so that it's just a mindset of what, what's your goals or your operation. And, and so, you know, for me, 75, 70% pregnancy rates on efforts are just fine. And, but it really depends on my costs to do that. Um, and so it, it is a it's a different mind process. And, and I, I think of heifer development as a yearling operation itself. And no different than running steers in a yearling operation. I, I, I think of a heifer development scenario as this very similar to running yearling steers. I have other options, other endpoints, but I still need to take the same mindset as a yearling steer operation of my costs. And how does those costs fit my outputs? Yeah, something we've been focusing on at our place lately is really wrapping our minds around the idea that the most efficient ranches are not necessarily the most profitable. You know, there are ways that you could add an efficiency, making sure that every per- one of those heifers is bred, but yeah. your return is really going to start shrinking in those top ones. You know, so that it makes a lot of sense. I think you're really highlighting that. I think sometimes the word efficiency is used incorrectly for so many people. Yes. Because what you described was the more efficient producer was actually the profitable one from an economic efficiency, not from a production efficiency. Right. right? And so we get so caught up in segments sometimes. And we get caught up in, in pregnancy rates and weaning weights. You know, so before I was in Nebraska, I was at University of Tennessee, and producers would brag about the size of their cows being 2,000 pounds. They would brag about weaning seven, 800 weight calves, but they wouldn't talk about their costs to get there. And so that cost is a huge, huge thing that, that we really need to focus on. You know, it's the economic efficiency that drives you and your sustainability as a producer. And the production side is good. We need the production. But if I'm not, if my economics is not there, I don't last long. Yeah. So in some of my research, 
and, and digging into how we want to do this for our operation, I've ran into a lot about stair-stepping heifers. Yeah. Stair-stepping heifers is the ideal way to do that. I, I want to dig into that a little bit. What is stair-stepping heifers? Well, stair-stepping, it's used, it has been used a lot more in the dairy industry, and it's really programming these. Um, they gain, they flatline, they start gain again, flatline. And so it's really just these program gains across time where you're you're gaining body weight rapidly, then you flatline for a while and you just move them up that way. Um, and so, you know, the, you, you see that in areas that you can feed and not not from a standpoint of you have a supplement and you're feeding grazing heifers, but you actually have locked up heifers and you're programming them that way. And you can control some of those costs and some of those those uh, uh, feed stuffs that you can feed and mix and stuff. Um, from a from a range heifer development scenario, stair stepping does not work because you can't control a lot of that, right? It, and part of that control is you don't know what they're gaining. You don't know how much they're actually consuming of forage. Um, and so it's too complicated. I, I grew up on the KISS philosophy in life, and that was hammered into me is keep it simple, stupid. And I think from a producer standpoint, if you're going to use anything, it has to be simple. If it's too complicated, you're going to give up. Your, 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 your cowboys are going to give up. It's going to be too hard. It's going to be too much work. And it does, it's not going to work for you. And so if you're looking at other development methods, always keep it simple that you can achieve because it's easy to run into jams if it's not, if there's miscommunication. It's, it's you know, it's easy to overfatten heifers and, and run into some headaches down the road because I've now got some fat heifers that are going backwards on me. And so we've got to be very careful with some of these different methods is making sure that we can achieve our goal with them. And it's it's simple across the board for everyone. Well, and in that sense, it makes it makes sense that it's more popular in the dairy industry just because they are so much more controlled right. of an environment. Right. Well, and then so much of that is, and I use this in heifer development that I have locked up that, that we're feeding in dry lots but... If you get over two pounds per day gain with a dairy heifer, you're going to impact or can impact milk production down the line because they start getting fatty, duttered, et cetera. And then the same thing happens on the beef side. But the challenge we have with that is if I'm over two pounds in a dry lot, when I turn them out to go grass, they're going backwards for a time frame. Right. And, and so that, that's that's where we have to be very careful is with stair step or anything else is making sure we know what we're doing, that they're not going backwards down the line that causes a big negative response. And I have much lower pregnancy rates than I wanted or et cetera. Schrader's Black Herefords are a wonderful sponsor of this program and frankly, a wonderful supporter of all things Black Hereford. The Schrader family has been deeply committed to improving Black Herefords for many years, whether it's involvement in national or state associations, 
promoting the breed at events, helping to guide new producers, or diligently improving their own herd, working to lift the entire breed. Schrader's Black Herefords are doing it. Drawing on generations of cattle knowledge while building a legacy for those that follow, Schrader's have proven their commitment to quality cattle backed by data and to the American Black Hereford. The proof of that commitment is evident in their cattle. With a philosophy that seeks to focus on the maternal and carcass traits producers need, traits that are backed up by intense data collection and reporting, it's no wonder they have grown a loyal customer base, coming back each year to pull those Schrader's Black Hereford genetics into their own herds. If you're looking for a serious operation, an operation that's all in for quality bulls, look at Schrader's Black Herefords. Schrader's will be taking reservations on upcoming yearlings soon, so get on the ball and check them out. They also feature some cattle annually at the Central State Select Black Hereford Sale, held the first weekend in November in Lebanon, Missouri. You can call Jason at 573-680-1439 or check out their website, Schrader's Black Herefords, all one word, com, where you'll find a wealth of knowledge about more than just their operation, but about Black Herefords in general. And don't forget to follow them on Facebook. So right now, with feed prices the way they are, you know, a, a massive chunk of the country still in drought. And I can only imagine what hay prices are going to look like come this winter. There's a lot of talk about having to lot those heifers and high input versus low input developed heifers. I know there's a big difference both in age of profitability and longevity between those. So I kind of want to dig into that. Can you help us understand first what we mean by high input and low input development? Yeah, so generally when we think about high input, it's it's scenarios that I'm pushing the game to get to 65%. Um, and so, um, and historically we've always thought that was done in a dry lot. In Nebraska, it's actually cheaper for me to dry lot and feed in dry lot than it is because of my land costs, my grazing costs. Yeah. Um, but um, so we, we think a high input is, is pushing, right? Uh, of feeding something that they're gonna gain much more. Low input is usually a lower gain scenario. They, they gain could be gaining less than a pound per day versus that two pound, pound and a half, two pound per day range. And so that's kind of what, you know, you would, you know, look at higher gain or, versus lower gain on low low cost versus high cost. It's really driven by your gains that you're trying to achieve. So how do those really impact longevity? Because that's been one that's had me nervous. Yeah, is, yeah. is there a big difference there? There is. There is. So in, in, uh, I published a paper. It's been about 10 years ago, but where, where we locked heifers up in a dry lot versus, and this is in New Mexico, I think it was very arid, 15 inches of rain per year scenario. Um, but uh, we locked heifers up to gain a pound and a half per day gain on a corn silage-based type of diet, and then had heifers that we gained somewhere between a half and three quarters of a pound per day over winter and, and through that development phase out on native range. And so, and then we followed the longevity of the heifers. So which ones do you think had the higher longevity versus the, the ones that gained half a pound or the ones that gained a pound and a half per day during development? 
It was the ones that was half a pound per day, had the highest <clears throat> highest retention rate through five years of age. And it was it was a big difference. Um, and, and really what's driving that, and it was only a hundred day difference in in time points of same genetics, same group of heifers. One just went into a dry lot, the other group just laughed out on the range. And so that, that short time period, that 100 days of pushing them on a diet that they'll never see again, what we're doing is selecting for, like I talked about earlier, is selecting for those heifers that were getting higher pregnancy rates as a heifer that were subfertile. And so you're starting to select for animals that need more nutrients to be able to be reproductively competent. And so they started dropping out earlier as a two and a three-year-old. And so we have to be very careful with our heifer development in terms of, I want to develop a heifer in the environment that she is going to be performing in. Because if I take her out of that and start feeding her something that's a higher nutrient value to get her pregnant, she's never going to see that again. So her expectation is the higher level that she cannot perform at the lower level. And so we've got to be very careful with how we develop heifers from that standpoint is making sure we do it in a way we don't have any long-term consequences and we're selecting for animals that just can't make it in our environments. I'm so glad I asked that because I had been thinking in my head that we were doing something that was causing damage in the way we were growing them long-term, but it makes a lot of sense when you think about it from just a selection point, you're, you're clouding your ability to make those selection decisions. You are because you, in that scenario, you're putting more emphasis on growth versus reproduction. Right. And you're so you're feeding to get those heifers that are a little less fertile in that environment that need more nutrients that would probably work just perfectly fine in, in an environment that had more nutrients. Right. And so in environments that were limited in those nutrients, you know, we need heifers that are are cows that have the ability to get pregnant with limited nutrients available. And, and so by pushing them, we can run into those issues. As producers are being forced to make some of those decisions about maybe lotting their heifers yep. to grow them with current feed situations, do you have any tips or advice you could offer them to try to mitigate some of that? Yeah, so so I, I never want to be over a pound and a half per day gate. And so when I, when I work with producers on this, when I do their rations for them, you know, the goal is keep them under a pound and a half per day. and so. The other thing is, is timing of when they're coming out. And so I want to manage that timing where they're not coming out of dry lot, going to grass right at breeding time. I, I want to make sure that they're on grass and they're gaining body weight before breeding occurs. And, and so, but it ultimately comes down to the producer and their goals, right? And, and so, but that that's kind of the goal is let's, can we limit some of these gains? where when they come out, they're still gaining body weight and they're not this over fleshy animal that is overweight that could have issues down the line of I've overdeveloped animals. And so limiting those body weights going through that development period is important from that standpoint. 
in our environments. Now, if I was in an environment that was, you know, we had green lush forage for 10 months out of the year, well, that's a totally different answer, right? And so for our environments, highly variable and if we get rainfall or not, if we have green forage, when we green up, you know, shortened growing seasons, I want to limit that growth as much as possible that does not backfire as soon as they get to grass, that they're, they're actually take off and maybe gaining more when they hit grass versus what they were in the dry lot. I want to ask you a little bit about those rations. I think we see a lot of people developing heifers almost the same way that they would a club calf. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're thinking the show ring. Right. And then like exactly what you said happens, right? Somebody comes in and buys that heifer and takes her home to breed her and gets very upset <laughs> because yeah. she can't be bred and she falls, starts to fall apart pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So when yeah. we're developing a ration for a heifer, what are the main things we really need to be thinking about? You mentioned a pound and a half a day and keeping it under that. Is there anything else that we need to have in mind? You know, the challenge for a lot of producers is they're limited on what they have. And, you know, it's not this ideal world of the feedlot that I have all these different options of building these rations that that totally meets every need that I have. I don't always have that option. And, and so, you know, a producer may call me and, and they have some really low quality hay. And we have very limited options of what I can add to it, what they can get to make that fit the need. And sometimes that's a producer has to compromise of what their goals are for what they can get. And so every scenario is different across the state, across the United States of And it's really driven by the resources that you have and the cost of the resources to do it. And so, you know, I've made rations out of mustard. I've made rations out of Skittles. I have, you know, and and so there's a lot of different options that we have to make in rations to meet needs of animals. And so um, it's just understanding we can be creative in doing it. But we want to really control as much as possible that we are not overfeeding or underfeeding. And sometimes we get in some scenarios. I've been in a lot of scenarios that were underfeeding because guys want to limit growth, limit it, you know, and and they are underfeeding where they should be. And so that's easy to get to get there because they assume what their feed stuff is. Is much higher quality what they're feeding. And so I've been in those that guys will call me and say, you know, my hay is 10% green protein. And I, I would say, before we move on, I want to get it tested and send it off and get it tested. They called me back, you know, a week later, it's 4%, right? And so that totally changes what we need to feed to achieve any gain, any goal that they have. And so I think that's the most important thing from a producer standpoint of achieving your nutritional goals of your operation is is to know exactly what the nutrient value of what you have. And if I don't know that, I can't help you much because there's a wide range in what that could be. And we could be way off and underfeeding. We could be way off overfeeding. And we could be making some pretty expensive uh, diets that are not doing what they want them to do. And so knowing those nutrient values is very important. And everybody's got an extension office, you know, there yeah. there's extension yeah. all over this country. 
what a valuable resource. You know, it's surprising how many people say, we didn't know you do that. And, and so, you know, contact your local extension office, your, your county or your, your region extension offices, and they're there to help you with those decisions. And can, if they can't do it, they can put you in contact with those that can help you. And so use that resources because we're a free resource for our producers. And so use those resources as much as possible. What questions would you encourage producers to ask? There's been a lot of talk about buying heifers that someone mm-hmm. else has developed, that that maybe is a more economical way to go. What questions should they be asking the people who produced those heifers to make sure that they were developed in a way that's going to work on their range? There's a couple of things that they need to realize is how does that producer manage their cow herd, right? Not only their heifers, but their cow herd. That, that's a big one. The other is genetics. And a big one that I've talked about and hammered for the last 10 years or so is milk. And not to get off on a tangent. We love tangents here, so feel free. So, you know, we've got cows milking today more than a Holstein cow did in the 1970s. It's a problem, a huge problem in the industry. And so if I'm buying heifers from a producer that is using high milk EPD bulls for the growth that they think they're getting from it, then I'm going to have a big negative impact on my reproductive performance of my young cow. My twos and threes are going to be hammered because because of the amount of milk that they're going to be milking versus the nutrients that they have. And and you can have a big fall off because of that. And so knowing genetics and what they're selecting for is very important from buying and bringing in heifers. And, And that's very similar as is why you would want to retain your own is that, you know, you control those genetics. You're making sure you're producing heifers that fit your environment. Well, if I'm going elsewhere and buying them, I've got to make sure they are, they have a cow herd and and have the genetics that fit my environment. Very similar to buying bulls from that standpoint is making sure you're buying the genetics that fit your environment and their management fits your management. And it's like, it would be like going to the Eastern United States and buying cows or buying heifers and bringing them into Western Nebraska and thinking they're going to do just fine because they get fine there and they're going to melt and they're, they're going to have, have a lot of issues. And so understanding that is important and, you know, bringing in new genetics that you're buying is making sure they fit what you want them to fit. I'm sneaking in here to tell you all about Walter's Cattle Farm out of Kentucky. Robert and Sandy have been longtime Black Hereford members and breeders. Their tireless work and unshakable support for American Black Herefords was genuinely instrumental in getting the breed where it is today. If you're looking to add some depth and muscle to your Black Herefords, make sure you take a look at Walter's Cattle Farm. You can find them on Facebook by searching Walter's Cattle Farms or give Robert a call at 270-832-1180. I think sometimes we really underestimate how big of an impact that environment has. We moved our entire operation from uh, Western Colorado 
out mm-hmm. to central Nebraska a couple of years ago. And that's not, you know, it's 600 miles, right? but the difference is massive and watching our cows adapt and, and mother nature has washed plenty of them out for us. You know, she's the great sorter, but that's not even, you know, near as drastic as it would be sending cows from North Dakota down to Alabama. Right. You know, I, I really think sometimes in this industry, we underestimate how big of an impact that has. It, it is. It, it, it definitely impacts from a standpoint of bringing in genetics from AI genetics, et cetera. Yes. From environments, right. So we're talking about heifer development and, 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 you know, making sure we have heifers that fit our environments. What about our bulls that we're bringing in that, that we're using AI genetics that don't fit our environment as well. And so, you know, every decision we make has a downstream consequence. And so those sometimes are hard to read. Sometimes are hard to understand, but every decision we make has a consequence for the future. And so that's something we have to think long and hard about when we think about heifer development, genetics, et cetera, is making sure those fit our long-term goals. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Like I said, I think heifers are, are kind of going to be the hot topic they are. in the next couple of years. And, and this is really going to matter. So thank you. Uh, anytime. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.